0: Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton, a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. Christina Spencer, who was on our last episode, who is a parenting coach, she's also an incredible author on this topic, and she is the mother to a son who is one of the most remarkable, joyous young people I have ever met in my life. Thank you, Christina, for sharing your story with us in that first episode. I appreciate it. And Dre Irizarry is with us. He's a resident physician in the Department of Psychiatry at Stanford, and his current work involves educational initiatives focused on social justice, trauma-informed care, and the overall experience of trans and non-binary patients in healthcare. Dre, it's so good to see you.
1: You as well. Thanks so much for having me here.
0: First of all, I, I, I hope some people will see this on video and others will hear your beautiful voice, but I just wish that they could see the beauty and the huge smile that you have on your face. Like <laughs> you just like jump off the screen as one of the most charming, charismatic people that I've ever seen in my life. Is that part of having made the decision <laughs> to transition?
1: Absolutely. It's it's part of that and part, um, you know, what we, what we were talking about, uh, you know, just being able to kind of sit here and hear these stories of parents like Christina, who are really supportive that that's kind of what does this. That's definitely what brings the smile on my face. Just knowing there's, you know, so much good in the world. It's really great to have some supportive parents and hear yeah. from them.
0: Talk, talk to us a little bit about your journey, if you would.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I was a a kid who grew up in a a very small, very conservative town, you know, interestingly kind of believed uh, until medical school and realized this wasn't possible that I actually was a boy. And somehow they had done some surgery that made me a girl because I just felt so internally like I was one of the guys, you know, didn't really know anything about, I had never even heard of a a trans person or what that meant or transitioning. I really didn't even learn that transitioning was a thing until college. Mm. And I just remember I was at a talk by Dr. Christine McGinn and talking, she does gender affirmation surgery, just listening to her talk, you know, and we, we were post, you know, research fellows just going to a, a talk. We didn't know the topic on. And then I heard her talking about trans people and transitioning and everything just lit up. I was like, wow, that's me. That's how I feel. Wow. Um, you know, there are other people like me, there are things to do about it. And it was just, yeah, kind of a whole turning point from there on.
0: Um, Christina was talking about this misconception that that um, people who are experiencing gender dysphoria are, are often suicidal, they're often so glum, but that's not always the case, is it?
1: Not always. Kind of like Christina was saying, I think it really, really, really depends on what's happening for that kid. You now what we what we know in the research is that kids who are allowed to have their gender affirmed and have the support of their families do so much better from a mental health perspective, lower suicide rates. Um so it really does, you know, depend on on the surroundings. And what's happening, right? Everybody's gender journey is unique. There's there's not a linear path. So for some folks that might mean just being able to use a different name. For some folks that might mean hormones or surgery. Um so really variable.
0: I want to talk about I
2: just want to jump in here, Sheila. Yeah, sure. Can I jump in just for a second? To yeah. I just wanted to highlight that I didn't want anyone to think that the distress wasn't there. I think the distress that um, unaffirmed kids feel is profound. And I want to be really clear that it's life-threatening. It's not like, you know... I just want to be really clear that the distress of gender dysphoria, even though we didn't see it in my family, Mm -hmm. I want to be really clear that it's serious. Mm -hmm. And that if a child appears to a parent and says, I'm really, really unhappy, you know, we talked about these steps and how to recap the the unhappiness and the distress needs immediate attention, immediate, it's Mm -hmm. life threatening, your child might be really in, really in trouble. And so, I, you know, there was a way that I was like, oh, this is not that big of an emergency. The gender itself is not an emergency, but the distress very well could be. And I just want to make sure that parents are aware of that and yeah, that's a, respond that's a, that's appropriately.
0: That's a really good point, Dre. You were saying that a lot of times parents try to protect kids because they think, oh, they're going to have such a hard life and this is going to be so difficult for them, and so they say, "Are you sure?" and "Well, let's just wait a little longer." and And they're just making all of these kind of uh, attempts out of concern, obviously, but it doesn't help. So, what's the what's the different approach that parents can do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's such an important point. And it's really, you know, a lot of what Christina said, just being there in that moment, just showing love and support, even though you might be afraid, even though you might not understand, just really showing up and loving your kid. And, you know, I think it's hard, right? Because a lot of parents, well, we do love our kids. And that's why I want to protect my kid from getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And really the part of the distress, even that we were talking about earlier, Even if a kid is allowed to be the gender that they are, um, have the support of their family, there are multiple layers, right? What's going to happen at school? What's going to happen beyond that? What they're seeing on TV that's happening with trans kids. So there is a lot going on. And... Really, the most important things for kids are being able to be themselves and having the support of their family to help them deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, when we say these kind of things like, well, just wait, or well, are you sure? Out of concern, mm-hmm. we're actually giving kids the message that it's not okay and right. they don't have our support.
0: You talk, Dre, about some of the other factors that might be on your kids' mind, even if you are a, a supportive parent. What type of things are they going through? What type of things were you thinking at that age?
1: Yeah. You know, even if you're affirmed by your immediate family going to school, what restroom am I going to use? How are the kids going to respond? How are teachers going to respond? You know, and then if we take kids even, you know, up to an older age, more transitional age youth, who, what mentors might I be working with in college? Who might not want to write me a letter, um, you know, to get into a graduate school because of this? Mm -hmm. What's happening on the political stage, right? There's a lot now about sports restrooms, all these things. I think even if these things aren't something that impact the child directly at that certain age, just seeing that broader landscape of how welcoming of a world it's gonna be for trans folks. Yeah. Um, you know, the the world that they're gonna step into.
0: I think it's um probably got to be so just psychologically tormenting, even if you're not living in a state where these laws are being passed, to know that on the outside world, there are people who want to try to make sure your life is not full and joyous and that you're capable of doing whatever you want to do. What kind of advice do you have for those people who might be listening who are like, that's my kid. He's hearing this and he's scared out of his mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think really the biggest, biggest thing in the kids that we see and that's playing out in the literature is really just to be there, be a loving, welcoming, supportive person. You know, kind of like Christina was saying, parents have their own journey that's separate, right? Like you talk to your partner or partners, talk to your, you know, family, friends. There are support groups for parents out there. Have that be separate. So all your kid feels is love and support support on many levels not just that immediacy of love but you know connecting them with care medical care connecting them with different support groups, right? Really being an advocate for them, showing them that you care about the world they're going to step into as well. So looking at organizations to donate to, how you can make a difference in day-to-day life, policies and, you know, politically who to vote for. If your kid sees that you're supporting somebody that has these anti-trans laws, right? That's going to feel really terrible. So just really thinking about every step of our lives, religious communities, what churches are we making our kids go to What messages are they getting? Even if our kids aren't going, if we're still going to these churches, what messages does that send our kids?
0: You you talk about the medical system and their part in this, and you say they're very conservative in regards to letting kids transition. Is that a good thing? And Christina, I I want your opinion on this too, because I know about your concern about a, a whole transition was super scary for you. So Dre, your thoughts first, and then I'd love to have Christina jump in.
1: You know, I think this is something that uh, parents are afraid of if it's, well, is my kid really trans? Do they know if if we go to medical care, things are going to happen too fast? And Mm. if anything, there are too many checks in the medical system. You know, we're trying to get away from with the standards of care still changing. We're trying to get away from more of this gatekeeper role from physicians, but it's still very much there. Mm. Folks still have to jump through hoops that they absolutely shouldn't have to jump through to really just be the gender that they are you know, getting your kid hooked up with care, the wait lists, (laughs) you know, there there are just tons of administrative hurdles. And then on top of that, especially with kids, the medical system, if anything, is more conservative than not. So nothing's going to happen too fast. Your kid is not going to get unnecessary surgery if they're not, you know, really trans, which kind of in itself is problematic to even say, but just, just knowing if anything, the medical community is on the slower, more conservative side.
0: Yeah. Christine, was that helpful to understand that when you learned that of, of how slowly it moved?
2: Look, again, I think it's on a family by family basis in terms of whether this, this pace is supportive or not supportive. I would say, um, you know, for parents, it's an incredible ethical burden, Mm. you know, you are the adult in the room, you are the guardian, the legal guardian of your minor. So there's like a tremendous ethical burden on parents. And I feel like as parents, as a parent, I took comfort in the pace, you know, I, I took comfort that it, it was like a guardrail that was going to prevent me from making a poor decision. That said, as I was sort of stepping through the process, it had this paradoxical feeling for me where it was like this very advanced, very technical medical care that was all about boys and girls. And at the time when we started my son's transition, when I asked like, well, so my kid uses this word middle, do you guys have anything for that? And they were like, um, no, we didn't. And so, it, you know, it's it, it's complicated.
0: That was such an yeah. It's like find example, Christina, of just like you're finally settled in this world where you have your language and you have your focus of where you're going, and then they come back in and they say, "Boys and girls," and you're kind of like, "What?" It just narrows it right back yeah. down. Wow, amazing.
2: And so, sort of the conservatism that Dre was talking about of the medical community. The other piece that really, as a parent who had taken this journey of learning and everything, when I said so what about my kids fertility what do you guys do for that and they were like nothing <laughs> like you know kids who transition young may be infertile mm-hmm. and so you know that that's a place where i really dug in and found other options but again i guess my perspective is healthcare for trans youth is so much better than it ever was. And it still can be better. Like it's still not good enough. I guess I would say it's, it's way improved and it's still not good enough Uh, to echo what Dre said a little too conservative, a little too still stuck in the binary, stuck in the idea of what men's lives and women's lives are like, and not as creative as I would have hoped, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about the options that you did find to be able to preserve your son's fertility? Because I think that this is so genius and there may be other parents that are really freaking out about this.
2: Yeah. So to be clear, um, you know, what we ended up doing is experimental. We don't know if it actually works, but you know, the process of transition for trans youth, it starts with going on hormone blockers shortly after puberty has begun. And then around age 14, 15, 16, depending on the endocrinologist, depending on the child, it's tuned to the calendar of the child that is tuned to the particular child, then hormone therapy for the affirmed gender would begin. I had questions about whether or not it was possible to do some IVF kinds of things for female-bodied people who are going to grow up and become men. It, It turns out that when I asked this question, a few families ahead of me had already asked this question and I was—I one of them happened to be a friend of mine. So we were able to retrieve eggs and freeze them. They're in, you know, a, a freezer in San Francisco for when my son grows up. And And really, you know, just to be clear, what I was wanting to preserve for my child was agency. Yeah over his reproductive life.
0: Yeah. It
2: wasn't really so much about like a biological or a particular yeah. way of building a family, but yeah. I felt like he deserved more choices than what he was being offered. And yeah. that's what I was working toward and I'm I we're both really happy that that was an option. I think the options for trans girls are less known to me because that's not the journey that I was on, but I do know that in Australia when a trans girl is going through puberty, they do actually save tissue. So if I were the mom of a trans girl, I would be wanting to call the fertility clinic in
0: Australia. Dre, can you talk a little bit?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think, yeah, I think Christina, you know, kind of what you're saying is, yeah, like what's kind of jumping out in my mind is the word you used earlier, right? The the heavy ethical burden for the parents. And I think, yeah, that conversation is one of those tricky ones right of like you know okay well how how are we going to know what my kid might want later might not be thinking about now and it sounds like that was a decision you made together. I think that's the thing I want to highlight, like for, for the two of you that made sense and you made that together because we do see a lot of kids come in and their parents are really worried about this and they're sort of forcing their kids into this. And part of that, especially for um, folks who were assigned female at birth, they're really invasive exams that can be traumatic. So I think like with anything in this whole process and like you're, you're doing Christina, but just like really partnering with your kid and making that a shared decision.
2: And I just want to add one more thing and Dre, that I think it's really important when you're a parent of a trans kid to keep asking the questions, to keep listening to your kid, to keep asking the questions. And not every child is gonna wanna preserve that that aspect of their biology. But it was when when we went in to do this process, and you know, they're putting my kids' feet up in the stirrups in the OB office. I was like, Yeah, we're not gonna do that. We're not doing that. And, yeah. you know, and and our endocrinologist actually Worked with us and was she's like oh yeah I don't have to do that I can I can I can get the information I need without doing that and so I want to be really clear that I wow. I also agree with Dre that that would have been a traumatic experience and so I really worked hard to make it just right.
0: We have like ten more minutes and I think that these these last few tips that you have provided for parents are so unbelievable. This one strikes me as super important. Even if you're supportive, the rest of the world may not be. They need examples of people they can see themselves in. How do you provide that for your child?
1: It's a great question. And I think it is certainly easier nowadays um, than in the past. I think, right, there's just so much more access to the internet, to folks being you know, openly trans on TV shows, uh, movies, things like that. Kind of, again, being that advocate for your kid, not only who they can see out in the world, but also support groups to connect them with. And both just online forums for them, as well as kind of these groups for parents. There's PFLAG, there's a bunch of other organizations for parents, and even just kind of setting up through that, this network for your kid Because, you know, I think one of the things, um, and Christina and I have talked about this is supportive parents are amazing, right? And sometimes being able to see yourself in someone is really, really valuable. And that might not be something we can provide for our kids.
0: Yeah. You talk also about the importance of pronouns to always practice their pronouns, to not minimize it, like when you're with your family or when you're with other kids, to just make sure you're super consistent on that. Why is that so important?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's so important, to, you know, to practice when kids aren't there, um, just to to really, you know, like you said, minimize the the amount of times you slip up, and and it's gonna happen, right? This is your child, and you've held your child in in this light in your mind for this many years. You gave your child this name, right? And that's why it's even harder for parents to kind of make that switch than sometimes it is for other folks. Um, and if we're only practicing when they're in the room, we're going to slip up more in front of them. So really just kind of like with your friends, with your partner, partners, but practicing that, you know, a lot and, you know, for the kid, it, it is, I think there's an understanding, right? Like, and everyone's journey is different. So speaking for myself only, you know, there's an understanding that it's hard to get name and pronouns right all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it hurts every time, um, it's not done the right way. Um, and I think, you know, part of that. They're, you know, they're just even, you know, parents like Christina who are partnering with their kids, those slip-ups hurt a little bit less because you know that you're on the same team. Um, and that like, oh, apology, you know, feel free to call me out when I slip up. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that and do better really does wonders even when you do slip up.
0: Yeah. And I'll just speak from my own experience. I hired a trans intern and I did slip. I mean, probably three different times, but it was so wonderful for me how it actually became part of my lexicon that I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm expanding my own knowledge and my own understanding of the world, even as we go. So there's a wonderful synergy that happens between the two when you start getting it right, you know, which is Mm -hmm. very nice.
2: Can I just pop in, Sheila? This is an old people problem.
0: Yes, I know that.
2: (laughs) The kids don't have a problem with this. It is like, you know, along with crossword puzzles and whatever, like
0: we should be practicing pronouns. Totally. You know, great point. Unbelievably great point. This last one, Andre, I love this so much. When you say we are not going to wait to tell other people i think this is probably one of the most affirming points that you have which is this is your life this is your choice this is your body let's tell people now let's celebrate this i think that's so big why is that so important Yeah. And I mean, I
1: think this is another time where partnering with your kid and really asking the questions and keep asking the questions, like Christina was saying, is so important. When your message to your child is, we can't talk about this, let's hide this, whether to the immediate family, friends. You're sending that message. Even if you say, I'm okay, but let's just not tell other people so as not to hurt you. That's not the message they get, right? Like our kids are so incredibly attuned to us and perceptive of all these small things and really looking for affirmation through and through. Mm -hmm. And right, some kids do want your help and say, listen, I don't want that onus of telling every single family member we have, you tell them other kids don't want to be out yet and want to go at their own pace. So I think really not outing your kid, um, but having that conversation with them. And if they want to have those conversations and they're ready, not hiding it because we're not ready.
2: One of the things that I did, Sheila, at this point, when we were telling other people about name change and things like that, is I actually hired someone like myself, like a a coach, a it was actually a psychologist who came to my house and we did a few group meetings so that people who were needing to be on the same learning curve as our family was, we brought them up to speed with us. We sort of reached mm-hmm. out. We said, we think we think you're our allies. We're gonna bring you in. We're gonna educate you, give you a chance to ask questions. And that was a really, really fruitful way of bringing people along, which, is, which the whole family needs, the child as well as the parents.
0: In the five minutes that we have left, can you each talk about an area that you think is super important that we might have missed?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the really important things is um, we're kind of, we, we have this in our head, even if we don't say it, the, are you sure? What if my kid isn't really, you know, I think that by the time your kid comes to you and is talking about this, they've been thinking about it for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I've just heard a lot of parents say, well, you're too young, or you don't know, or you need to take some time with it. Our kids have taken time with it. Our kids know themselves. And, you know, I think it's this balance of you are the adult in the room and kind of advocating for them. And also they're the expert in the room in terms of knowing who they are.
0: Uh, Yeah. It's beautifully said. How about you, Christina?
2: I I love what you said, Dre, about the parent being the adult in the room, but the child being the expert in who they are. I really like that. And I think I wanna piggyback on what Dre's saying, which is that there's a lot of stuff out in the air about is this a trend? Could my kid be talking to too many people online? And like, are they being influenced by this? And I guess I have two things that I would say when we look at the numbers of people that we expect just from normal gender diversity in the human family. We see the number of people we would expect to be trans, even as we see the increase in usage of these pediatric gender clinics, the numbers are still not at where we would expect for the population we expect to be gender diverse in our community. Mm-hmm. I would argue strongly against this being a trend. So I don't think it's a trend. And I don't think that that's how this works. I think that you know gender diversity is part of the human family. Older people are not as familiar with it, and the onus is on us to really grapple with what that means for us and to find the support we need so that we can support our kids the best way we
0: can. That's just a perfect place to end it. And if you have more questions for either Dre or Christina, we're going to open up our website um, and take your comments and invite them back from time to time, just so that we can continue to educate ourselves and be as supportive as we possibly can uh, of our trans friends. If you have any other comments, you want to give us a thumbs up where you listen to podcasts, please do it at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are our best leading two platforms right now. And we appreciate you listening. Make it a great day.